0: As you're being seated, if you'll join me in the book of Amos. Amos chapter 3. Minor prophets there. Amos chapter 3. And there's a question that I want us to uh, consider tonight. Amos chapter 3 says, Can two, verse 3, Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can they walk together except they be agreed. And God wants us to walk with Him. He wants us to walk following His path. But He's not going to change His perceptions to fit our perceptions. He's not going to change the way He sees it to the way we see it so that He can walk with us. For us to walk with God, there are perceptions and mindsets and ideas that have to come in line with Him. Hallelujah. And that's how we'll walk together with Him. The more we walk with Him, the more we want to see things from His perspective. You know, when I first married Pastor Philip Steele, he said that on time was late. And, and being early was on time. I did not see eye to eye with him. (laughs) And we lived in a a little two-story apartment and it was inevitable that when it was time, that he thought it was time to leave for church, he had the kids down at the front door and he was standing at the bottom of the stairs telling me I was late. And I would find myself hopping down that stair trying to put my shoe on because I thought, what is the matter with this man? Doesn't he know how early we are? But I have learned that I was not going to change his mind. And that if I wanted to have peace in my home, I had to come to that same conclusion that on time is late and early is on time. How many department leaders in the church know that on time is late and early is on time? Hallelujah. I think there was a a time that uh, Pastor Jim was going to travel with Pastor Steele to the prison. And Pastor Steele told him what time he would meet him here. And they had to drive like an hour and 15 minutes to the prison or some uh, distance. And so he said when he was watching his clock and when the time came, Pastor drove away. And so when I came to church that morning, Brother Jim was still here. He came to church. I said, well, I thought you were going with pastor. He said, I thought I did too. I thought I was too. He said, I was only three minutes late. <laughs> to walk with our leader, we, we have to recognize how he sees things. Amen? And the same is true in walking with God. For us to have the fellowship and the communion and the increased intimacy with God, we're going to have to see things His way. His way is right. His way is the correct way to see it. Even if we come and we say, Lord, I've never seen it that way before. We need to be in that mindset that if I see it in your word, I will disregard all of my previous experience. I will lay aside everything I learned before this moment and I will, I will change my mind so that I'm in agreement with you because I want to walk the path that you have for me. I want to be in agreement with God. And so that mindset, let's look at Isaiah 48 with that same mindset. Verse 17, Isaiah 48, and I'm going to read from the New King James, not that it's that big of a difference, but thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to profit. God is identifying His role in our life he is identifying one of the main interactions he desires to have with us. He said, I am the Lord who teaches you. I I will teach you. So with that in mind, we know there are things we need to learn. And when he teaches us, profit is always the result. God's instruction will always bring us up to a higher level of living. God's, God's teachings, His precepts, His understandings will always bring us into a, a peace-filled life, into a joy-filled life, into a life that flows with the flows of God. And so He says, I teach you to profit and I am the Lord your God who leads you by the way you should go. There is a way we should go. It's a predetermined path. There is a a long... uh, Our lives, it's not up and down here and there, just random directions. God has prearranged and made ready Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified Bible, uh, prearranged and made ready for us the good life. There's a good life, but for us to live that good life, we've got to follow the path that He has prearranged and made ready for us. And I'm quoting Ephesians 2.10. Go ahead and show me the Amplified so we can put our eyes on it together. Ephesians 2.10 in the Amplified Bible. Hallelujah. This is, this is something for us that will, that will help us know God's not up there making this up as we go. It says we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking paths, taking paths which He prepared ahead of time. Glory to God. That changes the way that we should approach decisions in our life. When we come to a decision, we know God has already chosen God has already chosen. I need to find His choice in this decision. When I come to a crossroads, God's already been there. God's already already made a specific path for me. My job is to follow. I don't have to figure it out. Just follow. He said, I will lead you in the path. This is a path that He prepared ahead of time that we should walk in them living the good life. So the, the way to the good life is on the path. On the path is all the provision we'll ever need. God puts provision in the path. When my husband runs marathons, I thought it was interesting the first time I ever saw the marathon. I'd never uh, seen how the intricacies of the marathon, they know the path before the, the, before the marathon starts they get a a description of where the route is going to take them. And along the route, they have gone ahead of them, along the path and prepared stations. And there is refreshment and provision in those stations, in those provision stations. And so if they get to a place where they feel like, I can't make it, I feel so weak... They know if I can go one more mile, there is going to be a provision station. I can grab some sliced oranges that will boost my energy. I can grab a pack of goo, which is a, a substance that... Well, I, I'm looking at another. It's like other marathons. Y'all know what I'm talking about? If you know I, that station is ahead of me, I can make it. If I can just go on, there is a provision along my path. God has provision if we're on His path. If you veer off that pass, path, there's no provision prepared. But if we're on the path, there is, that is Jehovah Jireh. That is who God is. He is the God who sees and, and prepares in advance. So there is provision along the path if we'll follow. Our job is to learn and our job is to follow. Notice what he says in verse 18. Oh, that you had heeded my commandments. That is a sad statement. If you would have, they didn't. They didn't. He said, if you would have heeded my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. If they would have, but they didn't. We can learn from that mistake. And we can be doers of the word. We can be heaters of the commandment. We can be those who learn what he's teaching and follow how he guides us. Amen. This is how we're gonna walk on that path. Psalm 25, verse 4. This is a great prayer for every believer to constantly keep in a position in their life. Psalm 25, 4 says, Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. it is is prideful to think that we're going to be able to walk on those paths without His help, without His teaching. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day. So this prayer needs to be something that we have in our heart continually, that we are always ready Ask God to help us. The Holy Spirit is such a gentleman. You know, the word paraclete, when it says, He is your comforter in the King James, uh, it is the the Greek word paraclete, which means one called alongside to help. One called alongside. That word called is referring to a holy calling. Just the same way that a, a pastor or an evangelist is called by God into this holy office. The Holy Spirit is called by God to stand in a holy office of helping us. That's His ministry, is to help us. That's that's His divine calling, is to help you in your walk with God. But He's such a gentleman that He is not going to force His instruction upon us. He is not going to pressure us or pester us with the wisdom of God. It's available. If you'll read Proverbs, you'll find out that wisdom calls out. But for those who refuse the call of wisdom, wisdom didn't force herself upon those people. I'm here. Here's the wisdom of God. Here's what you need to do in this situation. A soft answer turns away wrath. A soft answer turns away wrath. Well, if that wife follows her husband through every room in the house determined to get the last word in, wisdom is going to back up and say, I can't help you if you don't act on me. So the, the wisdom of God, the help of the Holy Spirit, if we don't yield and even ask Him for help, I'll never forget a story that Keith Moore told about a time uh, early on. He had been, he was there working at Ramah, uh, working in the healing school uh, and, and a part of that ministry. And he said there was a certain investment scheme that came through, an investment opportunity that came through. And he said a lot of the people that he considered to be spiritual and that he considered to be wise were taking part in this investment opportunity. And so he was looking around at what they were doing and thought, well, maybe I should be involved in this investment opportunity as well. And so he made the appointment and he pulled the money out of the bank and he was going to go meet with that person that day to give them this money. And he said, it just occurred to me that I hadn't asked God. You know, the Bible does say acknowledge Him. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways and He shall straighten, which is also defined as unbend. He will direct, straighten, and unbend your paths. But without the acknowledging, He has no invitation to get into your decision. So He said that morning it occurred to me that I had not acknowledged the Lord. I had not asked the Lord about this. And He said, so I brought it up in prayer. And I said, Lord... I'm planning to go take this money and invest in this opportunity like all these other people are doing. What do you think about it? And the Lord said, I have not given you any indication to trust that person. So he put his money back in the bank. And he canceled that appointment. And when other people were losing their money, he didn't. Because he inquired, he acknowledged the Lord. But without bringing that up in conversation, God wouldn't have stopped him. What gave God the open door to advise him was his question. What do you think? He acknowledged the Lord. So this is why we've got to recognize that we just don't go headlong into situations, even a faith situation, There are times that people will respond out of their mind in a faith fight. And they'll think, well, this is the way to respond if I am under attack in my body. And they'll just start grabbing scriptures and start launching those scriptures at that situation. But the wisdom then is to say, Lord, how do I respond to this? Of course, we raise up the shields immediately when we know we're under attack. Lift those shields. But then find out because sometimes it's the frontage road that gets you on the interstate. Do you know what I'm talking about? If you've ever been to Texas, you know. Can I get a witness? Any drive you ever been to Texas? I mean, you got to be on the frontage road for a mile sometimes before you get on the interstate. And there are sometimes that it's because people are not walking in love that they're fighting that battle. It's sometimes it's because they, they are, are holding unforgiveness in their heart. That the enemy keeps getting in that open door. And so that's why we need to have his help and we need to go to him and say, This is what I'm facing. How do I respond to this? What do I do in this situation? And let the Holy Spirit advise you because he's not going to do so without your opening the door for that conversation. Show me your paths, teach me your ways. I desire to know what you want me to do in this decision. I desire what, your counsel about this, this investment. I desire your counsel about this uh, job opportunity. I desire your counsel about this situation I'm facing in my family. And that opens the door for the Holy Spirit to respond. This is, this is where we're learning to walk with Him. Learning to walk with Him. Hallelujah. You know, pastor, uh, what has so um, witnessed to me is how he pastors us supernaturally. He pastors our, our church families supernaturally. And that's priceless because there can be Situations, For instance, there was a, a family uh, that called and said uh, they were standing against COVID and all of the symptoms and there was such a high fever and certain things. And of course, in your mind, you would think immediately, this is how to respond, this is the scripture to use, this is the way to, to react to that. But he, of course, stood in prayer, prayed with the family, and uh, but then... In the morning, when he's having his personal time with God, he is seeking God. He is seeking God. And the Lord gives him a specific scripture about the burning, about, about the, the burning fever. And that scripture came up in his spirit... And when it was a decent hour of the morning, because he gets up at, a, at, at an hour of the morning that is improper to make a phone call. <laughs> so so when, when the proper time came, he called that family back and he said, this is the scripture that the Lord gave me, that he has redeemed us from the burning pestilence. And so they took that scripture. That was the tool that that family needed and that fever broke off that man's life that day. But that's that. the Holy Spirit did that. The Holy Spirit brought him the right tool to use in that situation. But because we have a pastor who is not just dealing with our situations and helping us from his head, but instead he's getting in the presence of God and getting supernatural answers for us. You know, the Goodwins were pastors who pastored supernaturally. J.R. Goodwin and his wife, they were such an uh, important part in Brother Hagin's life that Brother Hagin, uh, Sister Pat told me he would drive an hour out of his way just to meet up with them and pray. If he was near them in any any meetings, he would come and pray with them. She said, I remember that they would drive out into the country and the four of them would just get out of the car and pray. They were so in tune with the leading of the Lord that one night Sister Goodwin was in her bed and uh, they were asleep but she was awakened with a sense of the Spirit to pray for someone in in, in their church family. And she started praying and prayed what she knew in the natural, and prayed in the spirit, and was praying so that her husband woke up and said, what's the matter? And she said, I sense that someone in our church is in danger. And so she and he both got up out of the bed. He said, well, let's just get up and let's pray about it. And with the help of them both praying, it seemed like the heaviness of that lifted a bit. And so they prayed for a while. When it lifted, they went back to bed and that heaviness came back upon her, that, that, that sense to pray. And so three times this happened, that they would get up, that they would pray, and that they would pray for an hour or so and then feel that beginning to lift and they would get back in their bed to try to go back to sleep and the Holy Spirit would come back to her. And about 5 o'clock in the morning... They made the decision. They, they got to a place and they're praying that they said, Lord, whoever this is, whatever is going on, we ask you to give this person a dream and warn them in a dream. And then they felt that, that be a lifting and they went on to sleep about 5 o'clock. Their Sunday school superintendent, he was awakened with that dream. He said he knew what time it was because the dream so woke him up that he got up and went to go get a glass of milk and he looked at the time and it was 5 o'clock. And so that day he went into work and he was working in the oil rigs, drilling in the oil rigs. And so uh, they uh, had someone who was supposed to climb a certain ladder and work on a certain piece of equipment that had called in sick that day. And they asked this man, will you go up there and do his job? And he, he climbed up a few of the rungs of the ladder, about 14 rungs, Brother Hagin says. I don't know why I remembered that. But then he came back down the ladder and he said, I can't do it, I'm not going to do it. And he said, I had a dream at 5 o'clock this morning that I climbed the ladder and that wire broke, and it cut my head off, and I'm not going to do it. And there was another man standing there who said, I'm not superstitious, I'll do it. And he climbed up. The rope began doing the job, and a few moments later the wire broke and cut that man's head off, and it hit the Sunday school superintendent in the shoulders. What a graphic example but yet an important example of being in agreement with God, being in such a place of sensitivity, such a place of recognizing God's trying to tell me something. God is trying to alert me to a situation. I love the victory stories, but I have a failure story. Y'all want to hear it? Y'all want to hear my my failure to respond to something that God was trying to tell me? Back to School Blast. We had so many people. We had a... No, it was a Christmas. It was the Christmas giveaway. We had thousands and thousands and thousands of toys that had been donated through toy drives that we had done all across the city. We had access to a school in Kansas City, Kansas, and we were going to... we, We had a... Christmas play that told the story of Jesus. They would come into the auditorium. We had the 20 minute play. We gave an altar call. We prayed for people and then we released them to go in to get toys for their children. We were supposed to have them met with Uh, people that would help lead them through and pick out a certain number of toys in a a way that was correct and a way that was uh, supervised. And so we had worked so hard to gather all of these toys. We had toys in the attic. We had toys. I mean, we had, we had, we had those little Mattel cars. You wouldn't imagine the amount of, of cars and toys and all these things. I mean, that back sanctuary was full of toys. And, and it, we, had to get, we had to rent trucks to load all these toys and take them down and set them all up. We'd worked so much. And the day before this event, we were in the middle of this preparation and Pastor Marie and I took a break for lunch at the Arby's there on State Street and we are sitting in there and I I said, she's telling me about a dream that she had the night before. And I'm telling her about a dream I had the night before. And in that dream, the toys were all stolen. And so we just took authority in, in our head in the name of Jesus and we were dealing with it and what we thought. But we were so tired physically. We were so stretched in the natural that even though God had given us both almost the same dream and given us both this warning, danger, danger, Will Robinson, danger. I mean, it was, it was apparent. We both dealt with it in a way that we thought was spiritual because we took authority in prayer, but it wasn't what the Holy Spirit was trying to get across to us. And so we just prayed over it. And when I say just prayed over it, there is an accurate praying about things. But I didn't pray till I sensed the victory. I didn't pray it like, remember Sister Goodwin, when that came... She prayed until there was a note of victory. She prayed until there was a lifting of that—that what the Holy Spirit was trying to impress upon her. I didn't do that. I just—I just inaccurately prayed over that. We had our first play. We had people lined up so much they had to block the street. I mean, block the street from the main street. And the police were like, we've never seen... we. Uh, you know, they are out there trying to help us with crowd control. We had asked a church to help us. It was before I had learned enough Spanish to be able to uh, translate. We needed... There were so many Hispanic families that were going to be coming. We needed to make sure that we had people who could help us translate and walk these families through. So we had asked the church to help us, but evidently we weren't very clear and they didn't, we didn't give them enough instruction. And so we had that first group of people come in. The power of God moved. People filled the altars. People were saved. People were touched by God. We released that first group of about, what would you say, maybe 500 through to go get their toys each each family get a toy for each like two or three toys for each child i think is how we set it up but within that first group they almost wiped out our toys because those people from that other church brought their whole church in and just came in and started taking toys they let the people come in and just grab what they wanted and people were leaving with more than they were supposed to get And God warned us. But we didn't give enough attention to that warning. And both of us looked at each other when it was over. And we knew God tried to tell us. God tried to tell us what was going to happen to prepare us. Hallelujah. That's going to help somebody. We've got to allow our conversations with God to be two-sided. We've got to learn how to hear His voice. You know, that's that's part of your inheritance. That is part of your inheritance. And so instead of saying, I can't hear the voice of God, I don't know how to hear the voice of God, instead of saying that, Agree with the Word. Get in agreement. What is this? We're talking about being in agreement. Get in agreement and say, You are my good shepherd. I know your voice. Another voice I will not follow. Not even the voice of my flesh. Why? Because I hear my good shepherd. I know his voice. Even though you may not feel like it the first time you say it. For you to say, I don't know how to hear the voice of God, is disagreeing with the Word. Because the Word says, He's your shepherd, you're His sheep. You do know how to hear the voice of your shepherd. So even if your mind says, I don't know how to hear God's voice, tell your mind, you're not in charge here. The Word says, I can hear the voice of God. Amen? Amen. And so having this willingness... This openness, this conversation, where I ask God to help me, I ask Him to instruct me. Psalm thirty-two, verse eight. Psalm thirty-two, eight is one of my favorite verses. I, I, I do. Uh, uh, there are a, a list of scriptures that I go throughout throughout the year. Not continually every day, but throughout the year, I'll go back to them because they help condition my spirit to be uh, instructed. And this is one of those verses. It says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. Again, there is a way. There is the way. There is a specific way that we should go. And for us to be on that way, it will require the instruction, the teaching of God. I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will guide you with my eye. I will guide you with my eye. And so if, if you have ever had teenagers and you could look across the room and they know what you're thinking. I mean, you just look at them and they're like, okay, mama says don't do that anymore. You didn't have to say anything, just your expression conveyed it. God wants to have a relationship with us where it doesn't have to be a loud, booming, uh, demonstrative uh, interaction, but that, just that soft touch. Just that soft touch when, uh, when, there, when, when certain, certain horse training techniques provide the way for a horse to learn how to respond to the, the pressure of a knee on the side of their ribs. And without having to put a heavy pressure on their mouth, if that horse is trained, just the... The, the feeling of that pressure of that knee against their ribs will tell them, he wants me to turn right. He wants me to turn left. She wants me to go backwards. Have you ever seen there are certain competitions that they have no reins and no saddle? Woo! I'm impressed. And that with, with no reins in the horse's mouth and no saddle on their back, they can, they can tell the horse... And if you watch it, you don't even see what indications they're giving to that horse. To to the perception from our side of watching, it just looks like they're riding. But the horse will run, it will change gates, which means it goes from using its left foot as the lead foot to it'll switch and go to its right foot. Well, how did they tell that horse to do that? They're putting pressure... On their ribs or touching their neck in a certain way that they have taught that horse, when I touch your neck this way, you do this. I mean, just in basic neck reining, without having to put the main pressure on the mouth, if you have neck reined a horse, taught that horse to respond, you can just lay the reins across their neck and they will start turning. And as long as you keep those reins laid upon their neck, they will turn and turn and turn on a dime. And then you can switch it. And they'll switch directions, just the pressure on the neck. God wants such a relationship with us that just a soft touch on our heart. And we're so instantly responsive to Him. Oh, yes, Lord. I back up from that. I stand still. I'm listening. I'm listening. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This requires... Training. It requires us walking with God and learning how He speaks to us and learning how He deals with us. And in prayer, you know, you're not going to learn that if you pray five minutes and call that a prayer life. Ooh, Lord. I'm going to pull a Billy Bram. You can't learn that in five-minute conversations. For you to be able to recognize how God impresses. Uh, one of the greatest ways is in prayer. Letting Him lead you in praying. Letting Him guide you in, in certain things that you're praying for. In that conversation is how you get to know how it, what, what His voice sounds like in your spirit. And I say sounds because it's not... It's not to the outward ear. It's not to the natural ear. It's to the spiritual ear. But what we want is spiritual understanding, spiritual conversations. We, we are spiritual. We are spirits first and foremost. But if we do more interaction with the natural part of our lives and we neglect the development, your spirit can be educated just like your mind can be educated, just like you, you can be educated in learning certain sports, certain talents of, of being able to play a piano, play a guitar. You can, you can train yourself in those things. Our spirits must be educated in spiritual things, in truths. In, in, and it's not just about uh, not sinning. It's about being led so so distinctly by God that we live our lives in agreement with Him, that we walk in the paths that He has prepared and made ready for us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. I will guide you with my eye. He said, I will instruct you and teach you. I will guide you. Again, we see that these are the two main interactions that God desires to emphasize for us. I want to teach you and I want to guide you. So if that's His emphasis, I want to make it mine. I want to emphasize my learning from Him and my following Him so that I become skilled in learning and skilled in following Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Romans chapter 10. I want to give us three areas where we need to agree with God. Three areas that we agree with God. Romans chapter 10 and verse 8. We need to agree with God with our mouth. The mouth of the believer is different than any other created being, even angels. The mouth of the believer, because we are created in the image of God and in His likeness, we are made speaking spirits. Animals don't have the authority of words and angels don't have the authority of words. Satan attempted to use the authority of words and said, I will ascend above God's throne. I will make myself greater than God. And God said, I didn't give you the power to call things that be not as though they were. In essence, in essence, that's what he said. You don't have the power to say that. But he gives mankind the authority of words. He gives us the ability to choose our words and to use our words to direct our lives. But it only works effectively if we work it in agreement with God. If we bring our mouth contrary to what has come out of God's mouth, it will hinder our walk because For instance, in Malachi chapter 3, God said, Your words have been stout against me. And they said, Where have our words been stout against you? And God said, You say it's vain to serve God. You say it's vain to bring my my tithe to God. It's vain. It's useless for me to bring my offerings to God. It's useless for me to walk holy before Him. And He said, Your words have been stout against me those words became a stumbling block, became a hindrance, a brick wall for God's ability to work in their life. And so not only was he correcting them for their attitude, but he said, your words are contrary to what I have spoken. And so in Romans chapter 10 and verse 8, we see uh, the operation of faith. It says, but what saith it? The word, what saith it? Referring to the righteousness which is of faith. What does righteousness say? Righteousness which is of faith in verse 6. The righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. And this is what the righteousness that faith produces will say. And then in verse 8, it, what does it say? The Word is nigh you, near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. When you are developing yourself in who you are in Christ, the righteousness you are in Christ, when you're developing yourself in who the Word says you are, then you will say, I have the Word on it. I have the Word on it. I don't need... God to come visit me personally because if I have his word, he is personally involved. The word, the righteousness which is of faith says the word is near me. Where is it? Notice it puts mouth first. That's a scriptural order. It puts mouth first. It's in my mouth because if you want to get it in your heart, just put it in your mouth and your tongue is like the pen of a ready writer, Psalm 45 one. And it will write upon the table of your heart. Amen? So the, the way to get it in the heart concerning whatever subject that you are, are operating faith for is get it in your mouth. And that's how you sow it into the ground of your heart. The sower sows the Word. And the Word fell into the ground. And they heard it. So it was a spoken word that inserted the seed into the ground and it doesn't have to be your pastor speaking the word it can be you speaking the word that will deposit the seed into your ground so it says the word is near me in my mouth and in my heart that is the word of faith which we preach that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. What is in the mouth is a matter of life and death. What is in the mouth can move me into a place of salvation flowing with the mouth... With the heart, verse 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So I need to have my mouth in agreement with God and my heart in agreement with God. And a lot of times people have the right thing in their heart but then they speak things that are contrary and it changes what's in their heart because that's how I get it in my heart is I begin to speak it. When I reach a fullness, it's going to overflow back out of my mouth. So my mouth is involved in sowing it into my heart and then my mouth is involved in bringing it out when it's reached an abundant level to apply it to my situation. So do you see how we have to keep our mouth in line with the Word of God and not say things we don't mean? And not say things that are contrary to what we're believing for? Hallelujah. And then our heart, another scripture to let us see the importance of our heart being in agreement is Mark 11 and verse 23. For verily I say unto you that whosoever, 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 "...shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he says." So again, we see the importance of the mouth and the heart. I have to believe what I'm saying. I have to believe what I'm saying. So, when I first started quoting the scripture about what God said about my increase, I didn't believe what I was saying. I felt like I was lying because everything in my natural circumstance was lack, lack, lack. But I began to speak this, and what helped me was this is God's word. This is not my idea. I'm not quoting something off the top of my head. God cannot lie. And God said, and I would quote the Scripture, and God said, so taking that that mindset of I am quoting the Word of God, I need to know the Word of God is forever settled. I need to know that the Word of God is set apart. The Word of God is a, a set apart word. Amen. It's not like the Facebook post, it's not an Instagram post, it's not the daily news, it's not whatever. The Word of God is separated to me. The Word of God is truth. Thy Word is truth. That helps me when I'm quoting the Word that I know what I'm saying is true. Because my feelings will tell me it's not. The the circumstance will tell me it's not true. And that's why some people come back to God and they say, God, it's not working. And Charles Capps was having that conversation with God one day and he said, God, it's not working. I did what you said. I acted on your word and I sowed this. But God, it's not working. And God said, who told you that? And he said, I had to stop for a moment. And I thought, well, I guess the devil told me that. And he said, Did I say if you'll resist the devil, the devil will flee? Yes. Have you resisted the devil? Yes. He said, Then that's your carnal mind telling you that. If if we say it's not working and we go to God and say, God, it's not working, do you think He's going to say, It must be broken? 1 Peter 2 24 must be broken. Gabriel, we've got a problem. Red alert. First Peter two twenty four is not working because they said it's not working. No, no, it's not the word. The word will not return empty. Amen. Do you see why we've got to sanctify it in our understanding? This is God's word. This is not. This is not me quoting a positive confession. This is me applying the Word. This is me taking the Word and authorizing it to change my situation. So if I look at the circumstance and the circumstance says it's not working, do I agree with the circumstance and say it's not working? Or do I agree with the Word and say, God, your Word will not return empty? Right? It is working. If I Whether I see it or not, it's working. Whether I feel it or not, it's working. Because it's the Word of God. And so I'm going to keep my faith in line with it, and I'm going to keep my agreement. Faith is, a, is agreement. Faith is a connection. Doubt separates us from the Word. Peter was walking on the power of one word, Come, until the evidence is... And his previous experience, he, he, he looked at the wind and the waves and began to sink. He didn't sink. He just began to sink. He began to sink. Have you ever began to sink? Have you ever stepped out on the side of the swimming pool and inch by inch, you had enough time to say, hey, I think I'm going under? No. The power of his faith was leaving increment by increment by increment as he looked on the wrong thing, as he agreed with the wrong thing. It gradually was dissipating out of his spirit. And Jesus said, Jesus called it little faith, which meant short in duration. He had faith, but it it ended too soon It didn't have to end. That's why Jesus said, why? Why did you doubt? Why did this end? Your faith was being released and your faith was operating. It was working. What caused it to end? What he looked at. And what he looked at, he got in agreement with. That's why when evidence has come, Abraham had evidence. And as long as he was looking at that evidence of the fact that his wife had never been able to bear children and that he was past the age of bearing children himself, as long as he looked at that evidence, he said, what will you give me seeing I go childless? And God said, we don't agree. No, we do not see eye to eye. That is not what I see. That is not what I have said. I've said, what did God say? I've said that I will make your name great and I will bless you and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. So God had to get Abraham in agreement and he said, okay, here's what we're going to do. You look at something different. Quit looking at your situation. Quit looking at the body. Quit looking at Sarah's condition. And I want you to look at the stars and I want you to tell them. Not just count, tell them. Tell those stars. So shall my seed be. So shall my seed be. And then in the daytime when you walk outside of your tent and you look down and you see sand everywhere, I want you to know, so shall my seed be. So in the the day, he could look at the innumerable grains of sand. So shall my seed be. At night, he could look up at the innumerable stars. So shall my seed be. So shall my seed be. So shall my seed be. And then God changed his name so that he had to not only visualize and get the inner image, but he had to bring it up out of his mouth and say, I am the father of many nations. He introduced himself differently than he had introduced himself before. I am the father of many nations. And in, in, in keeping it before his eyes and bringing it forth out of his mouth, within the time of life, Isaac was conceived. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So when people say, Abraham waited 25 years on God. God gave him a promise at 75 and he didn't bring forth that promise till 99. I put forth to you today, it wasn't Abraham waiting on God. It was God waiting on Abraham to get in agreement with him. Because the moment he got his heart and his mouth in agreement with God, he had the result of what God said. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. We're not waiting on God. We're not waiting on God. We're not waiting on God. I was driving back one time. This was a number of years ago when when God was first dealing with us about planting the the second church. and, And I was telling God... Uh, about our television bill, and I was telling God about the cost of what it would would take for us to have a location down there, and I was telling God, and God, and, and you know, I'm telling Him in a way of, uh, Father, I'm 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 believing you for this, and I'm trusting you for this, and thank you, Lord. And God said, and Lord, this is what I'm going to need. And God said, you must increase. What? You're putting this back on me. I thought I was waiting on God to bring the... He said, no, you must increase. Oh. Oh. I'm not waiting on you to provide. Why? Because the provision is already on the path. Amen. God put it back on me. You must increase. I was talking with the seagulls when they were here, and they, uh, I had shared that with them. that God, God said to me, you must increase. Like, it's, it's on your plate. The ball's in your court. This is for, and they had a similar interaction with God. They were talking about certain things that had needed to to take place after things had been uh, shut down and canceled or whatever during the pandemic. And they had certain projects going on at their house and certain things that they were doing in the ministry. And they were going to God about this. And God said, And I expect them to all get done. Oh, yes, sir. In other words, all the provision you're going to need is there. I expect you to get get it done. I expect you to do it. Sometimes we think, I'm waiting on God. And God's saying, I've already made the way. I've already provided the preparation. I've already uh, placed within the situation what you're going to need. Does the Bible say He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness? Has. Already, past tense, has already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So do you see why it would be a, a a hindrance to our faith for us to say, Lord, I need this. I need you to give me this. When he has already provided it. What is more appropriate is is to agree with that. Father, you have already given me the provision that I'm going to need for this. It's already in my covenant. For me to get down on my knees in front of my husband and say, Philip, please marry me. Would you marry me? Please marry me. I want to be your wife. Would you marry me? There's nothing He can do to be more married to me than we already are married. But when we go to God and act like He hasn't done the provision or He needs to give us something that He's already given us, He's at a limit. What can He do if He's he's already healed us by Jesus' stripes? Can we convince Him to heal us? If we're asking God, God, heal me. Please heal my body. Heal me. I did. That's what pastor would say to me. I can't, I can't be any more married to you than I am. We could renew our vows, but that doesn't make me more married than we were prior. We're as married as married can be. And God says he has already. God says He always causes us to triumph. Hallelujah. That this is the victory. He has already provided all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He has given us all, every spiritual blessing. Now sometimes people derail at the spiritual blessing. They think, well, that's a spiritual blessing. I'll get spiritual blessings when I go to heaven. No, no, no. Spiritual blessings are the root of all natural blessings. If you have the spiritual blessing, you have the capacity to bring it into manifestation in your finances. If you have the spiritual blessing, you have the capacity to bring it into manifestation in your marriage. It's the root of the natural manifestation of that blessing. And He has given us every spiritual blessing. Does John 1 say that of His fullness we have all received? So I used to sing a song. I need you more. More than yesterday. I need you more. And he's standing right here. You've got all of me that you could ever want. Of my fullness you have received. I need you more. And I would sing it with all my emotions. I need you more. And I'd cry when I said, I need you more. He said, you've got all of my fullness. Do you see that, that desperation that, that unscriptural, disagreeing songs bring people to? And it's emotional. And they, they think the emotion is spiritual. But what brings us into a greater flow of the Spirit is to be in agreement. To agree with what His Word says of your fullness i have received you have provided already all things that pertain unto life it changes the approach it changes because it's in faith if i'm in agreement then i'm not if i'm if i'm begging my husband to marry me there's nothing he can do because i'm already in disagreement with what is established. If we're coming to God and saying, Father, I thank you, and meditating on that, you have already given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh, Father, I thank you for it. And I get myself over into agreement, and I begin to see it the way he sees it. How can we walk together except we're in agreement? Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father, for helping us see accurately how we can participate with your plan, how we can walk more intimately with you by being in agreement with what you've already said. Lord, I thank you for answers and I thank you for the help of your Holy Spirit who helps us learn to walk in this accuracy. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Say this with me. Father, Father. I I desire to be accurate. In my, in my conversation with you, help me to recognize, me to recognize any area, any area. That, I in that I am not in agreement with what you've already said about me. Said about me. In, Jesus in Jesus' name. Now when it comes to you, immediately apply it. When the Holy Spirit brings something to you, brings an understanding to you, put it into practice right away. Okay, I adjust that in my life. I put put myself in agreement with what God says about me there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have you been helped tonight? Praise God. Let's stand to our feet, short and sweet.